Welcome to the Grace for This City podcast. We're helping you turn your city upside down. Hey, I'm your host, Justin Goff. Stay tuned. We got a great show for you today. All right. Hey, thank you for tuning in to the podcast. This is the Grace for This City podcast. I'm your host, Justin. Hey, we're helping you turn your city upside down. How are we doing that? Well, we're giving you scriptural motivation and strategy so you can get out there and get some stuff done for your king, King Jesus, that is. And don't you know he's recruiting you right now? You need to give your life to him. Don't wait another moment. Give your life to him. Today is the day of salvation. It's really simple. You just have to call upon the name of the Lord. The Bible says all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Listen, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. You just say, hey, I need you. I want you. I'm in terrible shape. And without you, I'm going to hell. I'm lost without you. Come into my heart. Cause me to be born again. I give you my life. I want you to be my Lord and my Savior take my life and do something significant with it in the name of Jesus. Listen, friends, you prayed that prayer. You need to reach out to somebody and uh, they'll help you get started on your road to growing and developing as a son of the most high. Holy Spirit's doing a work in you right now. Hallelujah. Bring in many sons and daughters to glory. Welcome to the family. And uh, maybe you're listening and you're already born again. Praise God. Hallelujah. Well, let's make sure that we are in the growth track now. Hallelujah. Holy Spirit wants to cause you to grow up in him. Listen, we're all born again as babies, but we're not destined to stay that way. Uh, in fact, I'm reading a book right now called Growing Up Spiritually by Kenneth E. Hagan. Phenomenal book. You can get it um, various places. Uh, it's kind of an older book, so I got it off thriftbooks.com. And, uh, but get that book, Growing Up Spiritually. It's, it's an easy read, but it's a reminder that when you're born again, you're born again as a little baby and, and you need to grow. And that's why we want to talk about what we're talking about today, because we're talking about what Jesus said that he was going to build. And I think I'm going to title this, that the church is not a building. The church is not a building. Now, I think we know that, but I think we wrestle with a lot of these concepts that uh, you and I in particularly, you know, if you're my age, especially, we've grown up in a very uh, uh, church's industry age where, um, you know, the, and there's always been pockets because it's a devilish strategy. So, I mean, it's not necessarily new to us, but it's definitely something that we're seeing now where church's industry or churchanity or these churchisms, church churchanity, has really clouded in a lot of ways and in, and in a lot of places, not everywhere. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord, not here. Lord helping us. He's, he's, he's helping us wake up to it. But uh, the industry of church is kind of um, clouded and uh, caused some lines to be blurred. And, you know, we're accepting and doing things that may be a little bit of a deviation from what the original intention was. And so we're just going to jump in in this and we're going to look at that the church is not a building. Matthew 16, Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. 
And if you've caught any of our of our previous episodes, or if you've even tuned in to what we've been ministering on on Sunday mornings at Grace City Church, where I pastor in Harrison, Arkansas, uh, go to GraceCityChurch.tv. You can uh, you know catch up on the archives or our Facebook page, GCC Harrison, Facebook.com forward slash GCC Harrison. Go back and catch up on some of the messages that we've done. We've uh, been speaking about the year of the local church. And uh, so we've we've addressed some of these concepts that really the Greek word is the word ekklesia. And he didn't say, I'm going to build a brick and mortar. Uh, the problem with, and, you know, I, I'm, I'm not going to say it's a problem. I don't want to say it, 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 it's a problem. There's tremendous things being done, okay? We're not going to throw the baby out with the, Bathwater, but we are going to address some areas where there's been deviation, or maybe there hasn't been the exponential fruit that is possible or even intended by Father's heart because of what it is that we've been focusing on for the last X amount of time. And we see one of the slight little deviations here in just the use of these words. Jesus said that he was going to build his ecclesia, he didn't say that he was going to build a building. And the problem with church, and we'll get in this in just a second, and you'll, see, and you'll see it clearly, but the problem with using the word church is that particular word that became known as the building um, or the house of God. Uh, it was a uh, very old word uh, that, you know, over, you know, about 100 years or so came into the word church as we know it now. But that word right there did not even exist in the time in which Jesus said, I will build my ecclesia. There was no known word called church, church as building. And that came about 400 years later. Now, when King James, you know, and most people have a King James Bible and it's great, but when King James became king shortly thereafter, he also was placed as as the head of the state church and he wanted to have a Bible translated into English. There was a couple uh, Bibles already uh, in circulation, and he wanted to add to it. Praise God! Let's get the Bible into the hands of the people. Nothing wrong with that at all. Uh, but he had forty-seven translators and fifteen rules, and one of those fifteen rules in Article Three was very particular uh, way to translate the word ecclesia. <clears throat> and so we see this this problem that's been perpetuated throughout history rather than hit head on and fixed and corrected so that everybody would have the proper perspective. Well, King James exaggerated this idea that what Jesus was building uh, was church's building. Well, that's not what Jesus said he was building. He was building a legislative assembly. It was a gathering. It was a congregation. It was a convocation of mature ones who were the leaders of a community, say. They were ones who would shoulder government. He said, that's who I'm going to build. We find out in Isaiah that a son was given, and upon the shoulders of the son, the government would be placed. And that's why this word ecclesia is very important, because that's exactly what the word meant. It was a governmental term. It was a legislative term. I don't want to say it was a political term, but I think you understand what I'm trying to say by using that word. Political has a lot of negative connotations, but uh, we even see in the Bible that our citizenship is in the heavenlies. Well, the Greek word for citizenship is where we get the English word politics. It also means seat of government. So we found out that this prophetic narrative, this storyline, Jesus being the redeemer, yeah, he was redeemer and he's our savior, but it didn't end there. It begins there. 
that we have been redeemed. Now we're born again, and by way of the substitutionary work of Jesus on the cross, now we can accept Jesus Christ. Holy Spirit will cause us to be born again. Now we're in the household of the oikos of our Heavenly Father, but there is where the story really begins. We're babies, but we're being developed, we're being matured, you know, uh, and Jesus in particular in Hebrews, he's been given charge over a particular household. And we found out that that household is the household of sons. Well, the Greek word for sons is uh, the same concept, same family of words as mature ones. So Jesus has been specifically tasked with raising up, um, in, in particularly taking the sons of the father who have been born again into his household. Jesus has been tasked with taking those sons um, and at this point, they're not really quite sons. They're sons in the sense of um, we're heirs, we're joint heirs, we're in the family. We've been named after uh, that name. We found that that prayer in Ephesians that um, whom the whole family has been named after, okay? Uh, so we're in the family, but specifically Jesus has taken those babies. And then like in Ephesians four, he said, I'm gonna give you gifts and these gifts are gonna help you what? Mature these ones in order to do what? So that they can step into their place and do the work of the ministry, okay? So Jesus has been tasked with taking the babies and developing them into fully functional, fully mature, those who have reached the pattern and the stature of himself, of Christ, of Jesus Christ, him himself. He's the pattern, he's the blueprint, he's the stature in which we're all growing up into. These sons, he said, I'll give keys to. We find that out in Matthew 16. He said, this is what I'm building. I'm building a legislative assembly. Those who, have, who are in the household, you're not invited to participate if you're not born again. Those who have been born in father's house, I want to take these babies. I'm going to take these precious children, and I'm going to develop them into the pattern, the stature, and when they're done, guess what? They're going to be called sons. They're going to uh, resemble. They're going to reflect with the glory of Christ himself. The, come on, the pattern of sonship, the blueprint of sonship. And on that son, we've, we found out the government was going to be upon his shoulders. Well, that's referring to you and me. And of course, Jesus jumps in here again, and he's saying, I'm going to do what Father has assigned me to do, and I'm going to turn you into a legislative assembly. I'm going to turn you into a congregation. I'm going to turn you into a convocation. I'm going to turn you into an assembly that the government of the kingdom can rest upon. And when we convene, this is the idea of the ecclesia, is when the ecclesia would be called into convening, we would be doing business with these keys. What are the keys? It isn't just authority. It obviously includes that, but the keys are how things work in the spirit. I mean, what a huge inheritance that the Father would trust us with the knowledge of how everything works. Uh, we're even given his word. He sent his word to us. And Hebrews uh, chapter one, verse three says, uh, upholding all things by the word of his power, meaning all of his power is in his words. We've been given the word. You and I, as sons, we've been given the word. That's a powerful thing. That's huge. 
Uh, but we've got to mature into this. And so we're looking at these concepts here. If Jesus said he was just building a church building, which is literally uh, the historical origins of what you and I know as the English word for church, the root, its origin is that of a building. It was the house of God. And it wasn't just talking about the oikos, because that's, that's oikos. When we're talking about household or the culture of a thing or the ecosystem of a thing, well, that's oikos. That's not what church means. Church originated to define a place, a building where uh, believers would meet. I mean, it's not necessarily a bad word, but it's just been misapplied. It's not a bad word. It's just been misapplied. Jesus didn't say, I'm just building a place for people to meet. He said, I'm building the ecclesia. Now, the ecclesia will utilize church. The ecclesia will utilize buildings and lands and locations, etc. But Jesus didn't say, I'm building a building. And when King James had the Bible translated, he knew what he was doing. You know, Lord bless him. Hallelujah. Thank you for the Bible. It's tremendous. Uh, I use as my main Bible, the new King James. But you know this, that Jesus did not carry a King James version of the Bible with him. And um, these are efforts, praise God, these are efforts of different men and women throughout history to translate into the native or the common language of wherever the people are at the Holy Scriptures. And they translated it either from Greek or uh, Hebrew or some Aramaic. Uh, praise God for these translations. Many of them are phenomenal. I mean, there's a lot of amazing trans translations. And again, I use the New King James as kind of my, my staple, but I don't just use the New King James. I use a lot of study tools to get, get us to the root words and the meanings. The other thing that we have to look at is we're a Western culture. The Bible is a Eastern book, okay? Uh, that culture was Eastern. And so we've got to look into historical context because not everything translates from that Eastern culture, that Jewish culture over into the West. We have grown up with a lot of things completely different. Some things are anti-kingdom culture. And so we've got to look at a historical context and find out, okay, what did Jesus mean when he said that? Uh, what, what, what was meant, you know, uh, when they said it like this, well, what, what actually was meant? Sometimes you have to look at the historical context, um, to find out exactly what was being said. You can't just filter the Bible through your Western lens. Uh, it's not hard, but you got to hunger for the truth. You got to thirst after the truth. And so that's what we're doing. We're hungering for the truth. We're thirsting for the truth. We're asking Holy Spirit, for revelation. Praise God. Now, the word is inerrant. It was inspired by the Holy Ghost, but translators have gotten involved and added or taken away or, or shifted this or shifted that. And, uh, you know, like the NIV, for example, the NIV just completely removes verses just straight straight out of the text. Uh, like there's verses in the, in the NIV translation of the Bible. It'll be like, you know, verse 30, 31, 32, 33. Well, then they'll leave out verse 34 and it'll, they'll, it'll be 33, 35, 36. Well, verse 34 is in the New King James or other translations. So some translators, some Bible, uh, some publishing companies, you know, have particular agendas behind their translations. It doesn't mean it's bad. It just, it, it just means that, 
Some people have a particular thing they're trying to do by the way they translate the Bible in these modern translations. Doesn't affect the fact that the scriptures is inerrant. It just means that men today are still getting involved and sometimes they add or remove or shift or change based on uh, winds of doctrine. And we have to be led by Holy Spirit and do our due diligence, study to show ourselves approved, a workman that isn't ashamed, but he's able to rightly divide the scriptures, the word of truth. And so when we're looking at, at this, we're not saying that King James is an evil person. We're not saying don't ever read in the King James translation of the Bible, but you need to know the nuances. You need to know some of the um, areas that you got to dig a little bit deeper. Here's one of them. Because he knew that if he told the translators to translate the word ecclesia in, into church, that people would automatically, in their mind, they would associate it more with the building than they would a grouping of people, a spiritual uh, operation. They would associate it more with a building. All right, now um, let's get into this here. And we want to look at where the word church was adopted in place of ecclesia. And, uh, you know, obviously we can't cover everything in just a short little podcast here, but we're going to hit the, the, uh, hot, uh, points. And, um, obviously this is not meant to be a thorough critique on church history, but a capsulation of events leading up to the widespread removal of ecclesia and the rise in popularity of the word church. Um, the original ecclesia, beginning in the book of Acts, expanded the gospel and influenced cities and nations un until about 325 AD. Though it was oppressed and persecuted, the ecclesia Christ had established could not be stopped. Notice he said, I'm going to do something and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. The thing about the ecclesia, too, is historically, you know, uh, the, the, the concept that Jesus picked up upon, and he said the kingdom is like this. Now, we're not saying... Uh, that is exactly like, but a lot of times Jesus would use parables and he said, you guys know this. He said, well, the kingdom is like this. And there were really similar para, uh, parallels. And the reason why is because God created everything. And when sin entered into the earth, obviously there was the fall, the fall of man, the curse came in. A lot of things are twisted, but there was there the original concept, root idea was from the heavenlies. And so we have to find out where are things twisted. This is why we say that the podcast is helping you turn your world upside down. What do we mean by that? Well, we're righting wrongs, okay? Really, the world is upside down. It's twisted. Things have been perverted, okay? And the Word of God, the Holy Ghost, the revelation uh, work of Holy Spirit, is helping us to understand exactly what's happening in the heavenly so that we can enforce that will here on the earth. Remember the Lord's prayer, thy will be done where? On the earth as or just as it is in heaven. Then he said, you'll bind and loose and whatever has already been loosed in heaven, I give you authority to loose it here. Whatever's bound in heaven, I give you the, the authority to bind it here. What are we doing? We're righting wrongs. We're turning things upside down. Really, they're already turned upside down. If we turn it upside down one more time, guess what? It's right side up. Are, are you with me? Hallelujah. So he said, I'll build the ecclesia. And, and uh, what, what we saw historically, uh, the Greeks and then the Romans adopted it. 
is that when the ecclesia would assemble, they would assemble typically at the city gates. The place of the city gate was where a lot of legislative business was done. That's where a lot of decisions were made concerning the direction of the community, the city, the region, the nation, whatever. And uh, the will of the king or the council uh, would be brought to that assembly, that congregation, that ecclesia. It was a secular term. And uh, Jesus pulled it straight out, straight out of the culture, but it was an originating kingdom concept. You understand that? Perverted, twisted maybe. Man got involved for man's own end. The devil got involved. Uh, but the devil's not a creator. He's a perverter. He's a twister. And so anything that he does is a twisting or a perversion of what he's, of what he's learned from Heavenly Father. But anyways, Jesus knew exactly what he was doing when he pulled this word that everybody would have known. Uh, before Jesus was on the earth, they were already doing this, right? And, uh, but typically what you would see is the ecclesia would gather at the gates and there would be business. Business would be done. And so when he said this, he said, I'll build my ecclesia and the gates of hell will not prevail. Well, he was also literally standing in front of the place that they uh, considered was the gateway to hell. And uh, it was this big cave type thing and all these crazy nasty, satanic, perverted things happened there. And people thought it was a literal portal from hell uh, right there. But he here he is. He's right there, and he's telling his disciples, I'm going to build an ecclesia, and the gates of hell will not prevail. Well, that was literally what they would have known. He was just putting the get. He was adding revelation to it. He was making, he was turning some things upside down where they would get an accurate picture and perspective of what the kingdom what the king, what heavenly father, what his will, what his intentions were, because they understood it. They, they had seen a version of it. Even if it was fallen, they had understood a concept of it. And here, literally, he's standing out uh, near what they considered was the portal, portal to hell. And he said, I'm going to build a legislative assembly. And upon the shoulders of this assembly, this gathering will be my government. I'm going to give them keys. And they're going to bind and, and, and loose. And whatever's Opposing or whatever is on the other side of these gates is not going to be strong enough to resist or to stop the decisions that are being made in this legislative assembly. It was a vivid, 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 vivid picture. And you can imagine once you get the historical picture of where he was at, what he was doing, what they knew, then you can understand when we say that he did not say, I'm going to build a building where you guys can come in and worship and sing songs and do games and uh, have Easter egg hunts, hunts and, you know, do all this kind of stuff. I'm not saying all that's bad, but I'm saying that's not what Jesus said he was building. So uh, in 380 AD, Roman Emperor uh, Theodosius the Great made Christianity the state national religion of the Roman Empire. What appeared to be the pinnacle of revival became the unraveling of the ecclesia, the, the state church squeezed the ecclesia into its mold, gaining control of its leadership for its own personal gain. For the next thousand years, formalized religion slowly takes over the ecclesia like yeast in the dough. The leadership of the church becomes corrupt, taking on a form of godliness but denying its power. Now the only professional clergy were wealthy and educated and who understood Hebrew, Greek, and Latin. Only those people had access to the Bible. Of course, then you get the Roman Catholic or the universal church uh, becomes well-established and ingrained into the culture of the empire. God, in the meantime, keeps groups of people pure from the polluted religious system. There's always been remnants. Um, 
etc., and they uh, would continue carry on carrying on the work of the kingdom. At the same time, the word church is becoming the norm and the standard that defines God's people and his redemptive agency. Listen to this. The English language was first spoken on this planet as a Germanic dialect known as Old, Old English or Anglo-Saxon, which began to be spoken in Northern England some years after the Anglo-Saxon conquest of that island starting in 449 AD. The earliest written Old English, however, did not appear until approximately 800 AD. Now, if we allow roughly 50 years for the conquest to have it, its effect on England's native dwellers, that means sometime around 500 AD, the people in Northern England started referring to a building erected for worship as a Ceres. That was the original word. It's spelled C-I-R-I-C-E, but I believe it's pronounced Ceres. Later, uh, it was Kirke or Churche, and finally, Church. Now, listen, listen to this quote by this guy named, uh, this his, uh, historian uh, by the name of Richard Hollerman. He says, it is extremely difficult to understand how this word, which was not spoken anywhere on earth until 400 years after the New Testament was written and cannot be shown by a single citation to have been a word known to first century people, how this word could be the definition of a first century word. What he's saying is, how did the word church become the definition for ecclesia when church did not exist until 400 years after Jesus said, hey, I will build my ecclesia? Through the centuries, the state church maintains its power uh, in many instances through crusades against resistance groups. A lot of this for the sake of doctrinal purity. A climax is reached in 1525 AD when William Tyndale translates the New Testament from Greek to English for common people to read. The translation is known as the Tyndale translation. Now, in his translation of Matthew 16, 18, listen to this. Tyndale rightly translates the Greek word ecclesia as congregation, as opposed to the word church, which had been used for centuries prior. Actually, you can use congregation or assembly as a appropriate rendering for the word ecclesia. Nonetheless, this one word translated properly by Tyndall marked the beginning of his death. Rome claims that Peter started the church, thus the church is to be led by popes and bishops and not placed in the hands of any congregation or assembly. Tyndale's accurate translation of this one word puts the entire papal system in jeopardy. Of course, this is this guy's historical perspective here, but I don't think he's too far off. Because Tyndall's translation would become perfect, uh, be, become public, the correct translation of Matthew 16, 18 would be read by the masses and would present a real threat to a potential power structure of the religious institution. Though threatened by the leaders of the Roman Catholic Church, Tyndall would not rescind the word con congregation. As a result, he was betrayed by Henry Phillips and sentenced to, to death by the Roman Catholic clergy. William Tyndall was executed and burned at the stake in 1536. Now, that's very interesting. 
And I've looked at that from different historical perspectives, and they all seem to be uh, saying the same thing, that one of the issues with William Tyndall's translation was how he translated the word ecclesia. Seeking to take advantage of the growing Protestant movement and looking for a way to separate from Roman Catholics, King Henry VIII endorses the Great Bible produced in 1535. The Great Bible is, in essence, a rebranded version of the Tyndale Bible produced to, side, to sidestep the papal system since the Roman Catholic Church did not grant permission for King Henry to annul his wife and marry another woman. King Henry persuades the English Parliament to separate from the Roman Catholic Church. In 1534, the Act of Supremacy makes Henry VIII head of the New England Church and officially nullifies the Pope's authority in the country. Then we see the Geneva Bible. The Church of Geneva, Switzerland, produces the Protestant Geneva Bible in 1560 A.D. Under the rule of Queen Elizabeth I, the Bishop's Bible is produced in 1568 A.D. Now here comes the King James Version. King James rises to power in 1603, and in 1604, a new translation project is started. The King James Authorized Version of the Bible is what it will be called. And by now, the newly named state-run Anglican Church under the rule and direction of King James himself, King James authorizes this translation of the Bible and is produced for the English state-run nationalized church to compete with the Geneva Bible. And that is 100% historically accurate. King James deploys 47 translators for the project and issues 15 rules for translation. Within the 15 rules of translation, Article 3 says this, the old ecclesiastical words to be kept, uh, for example, the word church is not to be translated to congregation. That's in Article 3, and that's one of the 15 rules. By translating ecclesia as church instead of congregation, remember, the word church specifically came about to define or identify what was the place, the building in which believers would gather. The word church, uh, by translating it church instead of congregation or assembly, King James and the Anglican State Church accomplished their goal of maintain, maintaining power by defining Christ's body as the Lord's house instead of a legislative ruling assembly. You got to understand that he's the king. And, but the king is not in control of a spiritual reality, a spiritual uh, governmental legislative group of people, but he is in charge of buildings and lands. He can control buildings and lands. He couldn't control an ecclesia, but he could definitely control the building in which people would assemble or gather in order to worship God in. The King James Authorized Version is published in 1611 and quickly grows in popularity overtaking the Protestant Geneva Bible and with it the misappropriation or misapplied word ecclesia as church instead of congregation or assembly. The King James Version has been and still is the most popular and number one selling translation of the Bible for over 500 years. I've, I've got a new King James right here. We use it, we like it, but we got to understand the nuances with it. Now, a final word here. It's very important to note that we're not trying to single out the Roman Catholics, nor are we saying, nor are we saying that the way we have been doing church is somehow ungodly. Uh, this is the furthest thing from our heart today on the podcast. But 
Our study of church history reveals that many have made vital mistakes along the way. We must realize that mankind's unregenerate hearts are darkened and the thirst for position, power, and control are are real and can veer us off course. It's crucial that we uncover Christ's original mandate so we align with his heart and mission. Now, um, let me pull up one more thought here Um, because I didn't pull it up yet. And uh, I want to read this thought right here. Because Jesus said that I will build my ecclesia. And uh, let's see right here. Uh, well, let me, let me get it. Um, I should have pulled this up for the podcast, but there's a particular statement. Here it is. Let's see. I think this is it. Right here. It's this thought here. When Jesus said, I will build my church, which was the word ecclesia. But if a different word was put in there that would intentionally or unintentionally shift the, the definition, the question is, well, what have we been building? And this statement right here says, we've been building the church as it's been translated. For 500 years, we've been building the church as it's been defined and understood, but not building the ecclesia that Jesus commissioned. Given that church and ecclesia carry two different meanings, they would inevitably bring us different results. So the question is, we want to uh, go back to what, what did Jesus say and what did he mean at the time that he said it? And what he meant at the time that he said it is the standing definition. By the way, it would be the standard direction then. It would be the same uh, intention. The end result hasn't changed. If Jesus said, I'm going to build my ecclesia. Now, if he would have said, uh, I will build my church, probably what he would have said is I will build a synagogue. People would have known that that would have been uh, a reference to building. Church didn't exist. Okay, that's an Anglo-Saxon word. You know, that, that came about through the English, uh, uh, through uh, English history. But if he would have said, I'm going to build a church the way it was actually defined, the building into which people will come, then he would have said, I will build a temple or I will build a synagogue. But that's not what he said. He said, I'm going to build a thing in which my government can rest upon. And so he said, this right here, which you guys are familiar with, this is what I'm doing. I'm going to build an ecclesia a group of people that I can call upon, they will come out from what they're doing and gather into assemblies. I will disseminate Father's will to them, hallelujah, because that's what the secular uh, ecclesia did. They would would be called into assembly, ek, kaleo, called out ones. Well, just not generically called out ones, but called out in order to be called into congregation or assembly or convocation. And so uh, the secular function of this is that, you know, the emperor or Caesar or the councils or whoever, they would have information. They would have a decree. 
And a secular term, an apostle would be a representative of the council, of the emperor, of the king, of whoever. He would be carrying uh, blueprint level information concerning the will of the council. He would go into a region, call the ecclesia, the ecclesia, the called out. They would be called out and into assembly at the city gates many times. He would, the apostle, secular term, would then disseminate the information on behalf of the king or the council or whatever into the ecclesia. And the ecclesia, obviously, they had the keys, right? They would, dis, uh, they would take that information, they would take the will, and then they would go back into the communities and what would they do? They would begin working to implement instructions from headquarters. Jesus said, I'm doing something just, just, just like that. What is he doing? Well, on behalf of the Father, he's getting Father's heart, Father's will, okay? And he's calling his ecclesia together in order to do what? Disseminate Father's will, to bring revelation of Father's will. Remember what he said, pray this way. Heavenly Father, or our, our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy will be done, come on, on the earth as it is in heaven. What is Jesus doing? He's calling the ecclesia together, okay? And he's disseminating to us by way of revelation, Father's will. And he's given us the keys, the authority uh, to back it up. Later, we found out that Jesus is the apostle. He, he is our apostle and high priest. Well, why would he be our apostle? What does that historically mean? He is a commissioned, appointed representative of Heavenly Father with the authority of the ones that he's representing. He's our apostle. And we get our information, our revelation, and our knowledge of Father's will directly from Jesus, disseminated by way of Holy Spirit. And then we take that. Of course, then we have the keys. We have the knowledge of how things work in the Spirit. We have been given authority to bind and loose according to what's already bound and loose in, in heaven, where the information, the revelation is coming from. And then here we are sent out. He says, I send you out. That's what he said. We're convened in order to get revelation and then sent out in order to do what? Disciple nations or begin to implement this information. So in the last few moments, uh, I think I'll close. I'm just repeating myself here. But if we've been building the church um, as a building in which we gather, then the definitions about that, you can see now where all of this room for church's industry has come in. A lot of our emphasis and our focus has gone into the industry of church, which is centered around a brick and mortar building. Nothing wrong with buildings. Oh, Lord, help us. If somebody leaves a conversation like this and just says, well, Justin said we shouldn't have buildings. No, 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 no. No, Ecclesia utilizes buildings. Nothing wrong with the originating word church. Nothing wrong to have definition of a place where we gather and meet. But you can see over history that if people have defined the building as the high point or the pinnacle, you can see now why billions of dollars even has gone into making these monumental uh, buildings. Because if people have defined that Jesus's big emphasis was this monstrosity of this architectural marvel with all of its gold and silver and ornate this and that, if that's the high point and, and you, you can see, you can see it. And 
you know, nothing wrong with buildings, but you can see where a lot of emphasis has gone into a building. But that's not what Jesus said he was building. Jesus hasn't been commissioned to build to uh, to build or outbuild anybody else with these architectural, uh, uh, you know, displays, these buildings, these monumental architectural displays. That's not what Jesus said he was building. He said, I'm going to build a people. He said, I'm going to build sons that have the knowledge, the wisdom, the know-how, the keys to do father's business. Now, in the process of doing father's business, we'll utilize buildings and lands. We have buildings here, and praise God. Every single one of our buildings are debt-free. We don't have a mortgage on any of these buildings here. Praise God. We've got tremendous property. But the high point is not all emphasis, all resources going into a building. No, we need a place where we can assemble into and gather into and to keep us away from the weather, uh, to keep us private or whatever. Nothing wrong with buildings. We'll have buildings. We'll have more buildings. Hallelujah. But that's not what Jesus said he was building. And so we have to be able to say, look, have we been building the church as it's been translated or have we been building the ecclesia as Jesus defined it? And so I'm going to leave you with that thought there. We'll pick up on this thought in other podcasts, but thank you so much for tuning in today. It's always a joy to be able to minister and bring the word to you. Join me. Let's ask the Lord for more revelation concerning this. Hey, you've been listening to the Grace for This City podcast. If you would like somebody to join with you in prayer, it would be our honor to do so. You can reach out to us, send us an email at hello at gracecitychurch.tv or call us 870-741-9099. It would be our honor to join with you, partner with you in prayer. We believe God answers prayer and there's power in agreement. If you would like to join the others who have uh, financially supported the podcast, become one of our partners, become a Patreon, help us get the word out there and get the podcast into the nations. You can do so. You can go to gracecitychurch.tv forward slash give. If you live in the United States, you can text the give 84321. Just put the amount space podcast, or you can snail mail PO box seven, Harrison, Arkansas, seven, two, six, zero two. We thank you in advance. Anything helps. Hallelujah. Thank you so much for believing in what we're doing and partnering with us in that. Hey, friend, until next time, be blessed.